Welcome to the Tanakh Podcast. Today, Malachim Bet, Perek Vav, Chapter 6. Today we're going to deal just with the very opening of our chapter, chapter 6, because here we read an interesting little tidbit of information. The place, our conditions, our Bet Midrash, our living areas are too cramped. Let's go to the Jordan, they say. And let's each cut down a, a log of wood. So, of course, as we frequently find, Elisha is surrounded by disciples, by uh, Talmidim, this group of Nevi'im who we, B'nai Nevi'im, trainee prophets or, you know, religious uh, teachers, seem to have been a constant feature around Elisha. And their ranks seem to be growing, and therefore they need a, a, a larger compound, a larger Bet Midrash. The, 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 under Elisha's guide, guidance, this group is expanding, and they ask him permission, let's go down to the Jordan. And he says, sure, go. And in the end, they ask him to, to come with. And there's this whole story with the axe head, which falls into the Jordan, and Elisha does a miracle, and it rises to the top. You find this group, by the way, are very, very poor. Uh, we saw at the beginning of chapter 4, one of the wives of the Bnei Nevi'im who fell on hard times and fell into debt. Uh, a lot of the times they seem to be foraging. If you remember at the end of chapter 4, they made a, a sort of a, a, a pottage and a zid, and they were foraging for, for berries to put into it, and one of them was poisonous. And here, once again, we find that the Bnei Nevi'im, who are, seem to be a very poor group, they spend their time occupied with spirituality and not... In, in the lap of luxury, um, when the person does lose the axe head, he says, oh, the who sha'ul, it is, it is borrowed. So we've got to imagine this scene of Elisha, the head of a group, who are the B'nai Nuvim. And here we see a fascinating midrash, where, the, and this I'll, I'll quote it in the name of the Radak at the beginning of, of our chapter, um, the place that we're living is Sarmi Menu. It is too cramped. The Radak says that the rabbis have said that when Gechazi was banished from Elisha, then the students massed to Elisha. Gechazi was heavy-handed with them. Many people refrained from coming before Elisha Gechazi because of Gechazi's behavior, negative behavior. He would push them away. And this takes me back to the last chapter. We saw that Elisha made a huge impression on Naaman, specifically by not taking money. Elisha didn't look at his miraculous powers as a source of his own power. He didn't use them in order to aggrandize himself or in order to be in any way self-serving. 
He said, I stand before God and therefore I won't take any money from you, he says to Naaman. In that very scene, pursued Naaman. And when we hear by Yerdof, I think about the line in Shiratayam, Erdof Asig Achalik Shalal. I will pursue, I will reach them, I will distribute the spoils. Because when Naaman sees Gehazi, who is Elisha's sidekick, his personal assistant, uh, when he sees him running after his chariot, he greets him with the words, Shalom. And by the way, that's exactly what Elisha had said to him, shalom. However, um, he comes along with a lie. He says, I've got two men, two prophets have just come. Please give them two changes of clothing. Please give them some money. Give them a silver coin. And he says, Hashem ki imratzi As God lives, I will run after him and I will take from him a nothing. It's nothing to him. That word, Chai Hashem, Velakachti, is exactly the opposite of what Elisha said. Elisha said, Chai Hashem, imekach. As God lives, I won't take. And now Gehazi is saying, I will take. And there are many, many other parallels. Naaman begged Elisha to take, and he wouldn't. He begged him to take. In this case, Um, And what we find is that Gehazi, um, at the end of the story, if you recall, at the end of chapter five, Elisha gets very upset with him. He says, did I did I ask you to, to take any money? In fact, he accuses him of much more than that. He says, remember, Gehazi just took two changes of clothing from Naaman and two silver coins. However, Elisha accuses him and says, Ha'et kesef is now the time to take silver and clothes, and olive groves of Kramim, and vineyards of Akar, and sheep and cattle. And you say to yourself, one second, he's just taken clothing and silver. Why are you adding in olive groves, vineyards, sheep, cattle, servants, and maidservants? And I think what Elisha is saying is, once you create, use religion as a cash cow, once you use religion as a source of revenue it never stops there what you're going to do is you're going to take money now and then you're going to take more next time and what have i become instead of representing god by my miracles i've just become a source of income and therefore naaman who learned a lesson of humility was cured of his leprosy if you want gehazi who has put himself over god now gets afflicted with the leprosy of Naaman. Why am I spending time mentioning this? Well, first of all, let's go back to our Radak. The Radak says that um, the, the, the Gehazi would stand at the entrance of the Bet Midrash and decide who to admit or, and who not to admit. He was a power broker. And for that reason, many people who would have liked to have had access to the prophet were turned aside. Was Gehazi always corrupt? I doubt it. Why would Elisha, the great prophet, have associated and had had an assistant who was a corrupt man? I imagine that Gehazi began as a loyal student of Elisha. In fact, he was really enamoured and full of respect for Elisha. Think about this circumstance. Elisha was in the house of the Shunammite woman and asked her 
what can we do for you? And she said nothing. And Alicia just let it go. It was Gehazi who came up with the idea to give her a child. He's so full of respect and so full of admiration for the great master that he says, Alicia, you can you have the power to be able to give her a child. And it's Gehazi who clearly has such respect for uh, Elisha that eventually he, he, he realizes these phenomenal powers and at a certain point he decides to monetize it. That's where he goes wrong. And this, for me, Gehazi represents the classic dilemma, the classic problem of religion and power. When you have uh, what we call today Askanim, when you have people who are not the rabbi themselves or not the great master or the prophet, but rather the office of the prophet. And here is somebody who has decided to wield power. Maybe he feels he knows how to run the office of the prophet even better than the prophet. And yet what he's actually doing is playing politics, playing power um, games and not allowing people to have genuine access to the spirituality. And therefore, Gehazi for me represents an incredible cautionary tale. The minute he leaves, suddenly, according to Chazal, according to the Radak, the ranks of the students expand because now they are able to access Elisha, who is the real thing, without all of the political trappings who surround him. So, I don't know, I'm sure there are contemporary reverberations of this, but I'll let you consider what they are. In the meantime, we've had a chance to think a little bit about the personality of Gehazi.